Thank you, Tiffany. It's a joy to be here. Um, let, let's do start out with prayer. Would you join with me and pray with me and for me? Let's pray. God of love, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for an opportunity to gather together. And we, we pray your healing blessing upon your clergy staff that they would be made well and give you thanks, oh God, for this congregation. In this moment now, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For we know that you alone are our strength, our rock and salvation. Amen. Again, it's a joy to be with you. I'm, I'm sad for the reason, but um, it's always a happy thing for me to get to be with you. I don't think I've been in worship with you since Pastor Tiffany's come on board, and she is such a delightful presence. Um, if, you know, if nothing else, you got something out of the ch children's sermon, right? I mean, a lot of times when I go to worship, I like grasp onto the children's sermon because sometimes that's, you know, that's... That's sometimes the best stuff, right? And so um, what, regardless of how um, this sermon goes, we know that we at least have that, so I'm grateful for that. Um, again, it's a, good, it's a good thing to be here, and I am excited um, for all the many ways that you are Christ in this world. Um, this is an active congregation, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the sermon. But what I thought I'd do this morning is um, I want to talk a little bit about being the church in the world today, and to do that, look at one of my favorite scripture passages from the New Testament. And so we'll do that and kind of study it a little bit together and then lift out two key points for us to take away and then conclude with a story. So that's kind of what I want to do today. And I'm not going to be preaching from the book of Luke that was in your bulletin this morning. Pastor Laura, I know, has spent a lot of time preparing a sermon for today on Zacchaeus. That's the Luke story that is there in the bulletin. And so I know that I wouldn't do that justice. She's been preparing that, and my hope and prayer would be that she would be able to bring that word to you on another Sunday. Um, so... To begin with, um, I'm, I'm going to start actually this way by saying, do, do any of you remember Alice in Wonderland? Did you ever see the show or read the book? You did. That's awesome. Well, it, there's this one scene, and it's a scene where one of the queens, and I forget which queen, but one of the queens invites Alice to imagine six impossible things before breakfast each day. So wouldn't that be awesome if we did that? Like, before you even eat your cereal... Imagine six impossible things that day. Again, children's sermon. You're talking about the bunny rabbits and everything. And Tiffany was like, can you guys believe over $2,000? And who was it, the little pumpkin that's already left for children's church, that said, it's not impossible. <laughs> like, the kids shall lead us, right? I mean, we didn't coordinate that. I was already planning to talk about the impossible. And... And, and now I'm not going to judge you all, I'll judge myself, that especially in light of the news and even what's going on in my chaotic life sometimes, I, I'm going to confess that I have a bent towards cynicism and jadedness and pessimism at times and what can't be possible, and the children really do lead us in that. It's not impossible. Like, we can do this. And that's part of, that's a big part of what the scripture lesson today I want to share with you is all about. It comes from the book of Acts. Now, um, a quick, you know, quick, 
um, Christian history lesson here. You know the story. Jesus came to live among us to teach us um, how to be in love with God and to love one another. And his love was so perfect and so pure, the world just couldn't handle it. And it was the religious powers that be that decided to put an end to his message. And so he was crucified, and we remember um, in those weeks leading up to Easter Sunday, some of the hard, hard parts of the Christian story. But we know that in God's amazing, amazing miraculous love that death and the hard things never have the last word and so the impossible happened and on easter sunday morning we know that jesus rose again and he spent some time with the disciples his followers teaching them and and connecting with them but then eventually in those days following his resurrection he told them he said i'm going to leave you again and i'm going to ascend and i'm going to be with my heavenly father but don't worry he told them don't worry because i'm going to send you the holy spirit who will comfort you and also empower you to continue my work of loving god and loving one another so we know that in christian history pentecost sunday is where that promise comes true And the Holy Spirit comes among the believers, and they speak in their own native tongues. It's kind of a, I mean, for some of us that grew up in the church, Pentecost Sunday is the one Sunday that's just kind of of crazy. You know, you hear about the violent wind of the Holy Spirit, and um, I love what Garrison Keillor says about, about mainline Protestants like a lot of us. He said, you know the Holy Spirit's really on fire in a church when somebody lifts one of their eyebrows just slightly, you know. So the Holy Spirit's like doing this thing. And if you're like me, it's like the Holy Spirit comes. We do this Pentecost Sunday thing, and then it's like, okay, done with the Holy Spirit until next Pentecost. But no, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit continues to be at work in the life of the early disciples. That's why the church was formed, because they continued to carry out the acts of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is still alive today in places like Bee Creek United Methodist Church. And so the story that I share with you today comes right after Pentecost. So the the disciples, they have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is no longer with them in the embodied flesh. He's ascended to the Father. And this story in Acts chapter 3 is the very first healing story that the disciples accomplish without Jesus with them in body. And it comes from Acts chapter 3. And we're going to walk through this a little bit. I'm going to tell you, apart from Tiffany, the other thing that's changed since I've been with you, this is a parenthetical side note, the, the other thing that's changed since I've been with you last is, is, is this. You know, <laughs> it happens. It happens. Okay, Acts chapter 3, healing of a crippled man. Peter and John, these are two of the, the golden disciples. Peter and John, they're going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the established prayer time. And meanwhile, a man crippled since birth was being carried in, and every day people would place him at the temple gate known as the beautiful gate. Now that sounds lovely, right? The beautiful gate? But actually the beautiful gate was a barrier between the people on the outside and then the holy people that came to worship. And there was a barrier, and there were the outsiders and the insiders. We're going to talk a little bit about that more in a second. So, so he would be just outside the temple at the beautiful gate because he was not allowed inside because he was crippled. 
Back in those times, if you were crippled, you couldn't come into the house of worship. And so he would be there asking for money from those entering the temple. After all, those that are perhaps most holy, he would hope that those would be the people willing to give them a handout. So when, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask them for a gift. Peter and John stared at him, and Peter said, look at us. Now, I think that's one of the most amazing parts of the scripture to me, is that the disciples see this man who is in need. He's probably poor, and he's not well in body, and they say, look at us. Now, I don't know about you, but on any given day, sometimes eye contact is hard. Good eye contact is hard to, to maintain throughout the day. And, you know, some, some of our churches, many of our churches throughout the Austin area, they've, they've gone to doing this thing, and you may be, have either been a part of this or you've heard about this, where, where you put a bag, um, a Ziploc bag in your car filled with maybe some snacks and some cleaning supplies, maybe a bottle of water, Some people call them mana bags. Keep them in your car, and that way when you're in town and you see somebody who's in need, maybe standing at a stop sign or a stoplight, you have something to hand to them, right? How many of you have done that? Yeah, I've I've done that before. And I'll have to say that whenever I do that, you know, rolling down the window and just being like, here, that's kind of a an easy thing for me to do, what's harder is for me to actually look the person in the eye and say, bless you, I'm thinking of you this day. Eye contact is a powerful thing that says, I recognize you, I notice you, and you matter, and I care. So that's what the disciples do to this beggar. They say, look at us. And so the man gazed at them, and expecting to receive something from them, Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around, and he entered the temple with them. It says here that he praised God by leaping. How many, how many of us have done that recently? Right? Yeah. He was so excited in body that he was praising God and leaping in the temple. And notice he was able to enter the temple now because he was made well. He entered the temple, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same person who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money. And they were filled with amazement and surprise at what had been done. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the two main points that I want to lift lift up today, and if I could have titled the sermon, I would have titled it Inside Out and Upside Down. So first of all, Inside Out, and we've already referred to that a little bit in looking at the scripture. I believe that Jesus is calling us today more than ever to have churches that are focused outside. When I grew up, I grew up in the church, and I had, I had this assumption that, you know, we come to worship, and we do our thing in here, and that mattered, and that was kind of, that was kind of what we did, and that was it. Um, and, and really, in, in reality, Jesus reminds us that what we do in here is, yes, important to connect and to worship God, but 
the entire rest of the week, God is calling us to be the church beyond these walls. And I feel kind of funny standing here saying this now that I look at your faces, because you guys get this. You know what it's like to be the church beyond these walls. In the Bible reading for today, the disciples, they recognized the people that were in need just on the other side of their door, that, that beggar. And I praise God for the ways that I'm aware of your focus outside. And I, and I am quite certain that there are hundreds of thousands of ways that you're being the church that I'm not even aware of. Um, I know that you're connected with this community in marvelous ways. You allow the community to use your building, your space. And um, how many of you have, have been trained in early response team training? I see some of the hands. And these are people that have been trained that can be deployed whenever there's natural disasters. Some of you um, might already be planning a trip down to the coast um, for cleanup. And I'm grateful for Bee Creek United Methodist Church as I relate to the churches in our district in the Austin area. This is one of the congregations that has a strong, strong number of people that are what we call ERT trained. And this is a certain training you go through Again, so that you can go to places like Rockport, Texas, and help with cleanup. Um, Just on a side personal note, actually earlier this weekend when Pastor Laura called me, I, of all things, was in the Corpus Christi area visiting family. And I grew up in Ingleside, Texas, and it was the first time that I drove through Ingleside and Aransas Pass, where I still have extended family, and I saw the devastation the number of trees that were down, all of the stuff from people's houses pulled out and gathered along the curbs. And if you haven't been down there, just from the pictures, you know that those communities are going to need us for the long haul. Um, And so, again, I would just give thanks for the ways that you're outward focused. Um, Kind of moving away from Hurricane Harvey into, you know, connecting with new people in your immediate area your new worship service um, away from this space where you're connecting and reaching new people for Jesus Christ with Pastor Trent preaching. Um, I praise God for that work and want to encourage you to continue being a church that's outward focused, inside out. Um, When I was serving a congregation many, many years ago, it was a church that would sometimes say to me, you know, Teresa, we really wish we had more youth in this church. Have you ever heard that? Teresa, we just really, really wish we had more youth. Now, here's the ironic thing. The interesting thing is that on any given day of the week, when I would drive to the church office, I could find youth gathered around the church. Sometimes there were about six, sometimes as many as a dozen. Sometimes they were on their skateboards, but oftentimes they were just hanging out talking. And I thought sometimes that's how we are in the church, even as pastors, we can say, oh, we wish that you know, certain people would come and, and experience what it's like to be the body of Christ with us. And all along, those people are just on the other side of the temple gate. How can we invite them in? Inside out. And then finally, upside down. Um, one of the things that this scripture passage reminds us of is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is is a savior who turns things upside down from his earliest moments when he was being literally nurtured in his mother's womb. Do you remember what Mary 
proclaims to God. Mary proclaims the miracles of a God who sends away the rich empty-handed and yet exalts the humble. Jesus' way is to flip things on their head in our world. And so as a church, I just am passionate today that we that we become those people that we that we look to those who who we assume have nothing and to figure out a way to raise them up and to know that they do have gifts to bless us and to bless the world when i was in middle school um, i remember it was in geography class Um, some of you i'm sure have seen maps like this but my geography school teacher handed out a map of the world and the map in, in, our, in our mind was upside down. Have you ever seen a map that's upside down? A map of the world, which I had a picture of it for you. And, and it kind of startled us and unsettled us in, in ways that we had no words for. You know, Africa seemed just enormous and up on top, and the United States looked really small on the bottom. Um, and Jesus is a, is a God, is a Savior who, who works to to shake us up and to turn things on their head. And so I just want to encourage you that as you continue to be the church and and even in your own daily living, are there things that perhaps you think are not important priorities that maybe God is speaking a new word to you to say, this thing that I have down here needs to be more important and vice versa. God turns things upside down. God and can do the impossible. He can turn churches inside out. He can turn our world upside down, which is right side up in his mind sometimes. And I want to close just with a final story. Um, And this is somebody else's story. It's a story about a woman named Mary Taylor Previte. And I had the opportunity to get to know her years ago when I attended a conference that she spoke at. And Mary Taylor Previte is known for her work with juvenile offenders. I mean, she, she relates to some really rough um, people in our society. And she, she loves them, and she walks alongside them and, and points them step by step, slowly but purposefully, into a future that is far different than anything they could have ever imagined. And so she was sharing about this work that she does um, with youth who many, quite frankly, many people in our society would just either give up on or forget, but she has eyes to see them and to believe that the impossible could happen. And so she was telling us about her work, and at the time when it came where she would receive questions, um, a gentleman went to the microphone and said, I'm curious, Mrs. Previte." Um, how is it that you have, you have hope for this work? Where do you get your strength and hope from? And at that point, she kind of stepped away from the podium and she gestured to her arm. Now, Mary Taylor Previde, to this day, if you see her, she has half of one of her arms missing, just about right below the elbow of her right hand. It's, that arm is completely missing. And she gestured to her stump, and she said, "Um, I lost part of my arm when I was a little girl. She was eight years old, and she was outside playing, and she was the victim of a horrendous accident involving a rotating saw. It was just horrific. 
and the, the road to recovery was slow but steady. She went to the hospital, of course, and, and the pain treatments, and then the therapy, and then the healing that finally began around her stump. And it's months later that she is finally at home, and she has a kid brother, and the two of them are in the living room, and the, the family is getting back into some sense of normalcy. And she and her kid brother are sprawled out in front of the television watching, the, watching some shows, and her father, her father's behind them in the recliner reading a newspaper. And just out of the blue, as they're sitting there watching the, the TV, out of the blue, Mary Taylor Prevete's little brother pipes up and looks behind his shoulder at his father, and he says, Hey, Dad, I just realized Mary's never going to be able to ride her bicycle again. Now, those of you that have either yourselves or have seen loved ones go through, go through something hard physically or, or maybe even psychologically, there can be this sense of just imagining all the things that they can't do, all the things that are no longer possible. And this little boy, he just innocently was imagining this is something that Mary's never going to be able to do again. Mary's never going to be able to ride her bicycle again, Dad. Just thought of that. And Mary said that her dad barely looks up from his newspaper and says, Well, I don't know why not. Well, I don't know why not. And Mailer Taylor Prevete to this day says that that was her banner in the sky. That whether it came to riding her bike as a little girl again, which she did do, or pointing pointing people to a future that they never imagined was possible. She looked in the sky and she saw her father's words, well, I don't know why not. I don't know what's going on in your individual lives um, or in the communities where you live out your faith through the week. But my prayer and my hope for you is that you would have the faith to believe like children. Well, it's possible that we can raise all that money for bunnies for people in need. I don't know why not. God can do the impossible. And my prayer will continue to be with you as a church, that you will be outward focused and that you will help turn the lives of people in need upside down. Amen.